Hey, what's up, Dave? This is Joe Richter. I run the uh, Wheeler Woe Actual Play podcast. I was just giving you a, a call, man. I love your views on world building as a group. That's what we do pretty heavily. Uh, you're totally right about how many times the players will have more creative and just cooler ideas than, uh, <clears throat> than we can come up with all the time. So right on, man. Keep up the great work. And I'm not sure if I totally remember right, but I think Stars Without Number might have like a faction mini game that the GM runs before turns or between sessions. I think so. I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, man, have a great day and I look forward to talking to you again. Peace out. Thanks very much, Joe. I haven't checked out Stars Without Number yet, so I will uh, I will give it a look. I appreciate the recommendation. So, this is Dave Aldridge. You're listening to The Percentile, the podcast where I normally roll things up on random tables and sort of let you know what's, what, what's coming up on them. Uh, but I'm going to do something slightly different today. Uh, I'm going to do a sort of a review, I suppose, of the Black Hack Second Edition. I'm just going to tell you why I think it is such an amazing and kind of complete role-playing product. Uh, probably part of me is doing this because I feel a little bit left out of UK Games Expo. Couldn't get there this year for various reasons, but I know the Black Hack Second Edition has been nominated for Best RPG. I think it should win. It has my support, uh, and maybe I'll communicate some of why I'm so particularly enthusiastic about this about this game i'm not going to gloat too much about the wonderful uh black box set i got as part of the kickstarter i don't know whether whether you can still buy that um but it really is just chock full of beautiful things i've got some no i said i wasn't going to go on about it um but it will uh, become a family heirloom i think that's going to be passed down with veneration throughout the generations uh, I'm just going to talk about the core, the the book itself, which is a well, which is a pretty cheap PDF on drive through RPG, and I think it's a game that everybody who's a is a bit interested in maybe old school or rules light or something a little bit different, something with a it's got a few indie elements I would say to the design, uh, and it really is just a a tasty little game. And I'm going to tell you about that today. So before I go on to say what I'm about to say, I should give the credit. This game is written by David Black. I think he's done a great job. And I think the reason why I'm so pleased with the game, maybe you'll relate to this, I don't know, but the reason why I'm so pleased with it is because you read it through page by page and it feels like a game which you were just on the edge of writing yourself (laughs) and I don't mean to take anything away from David Black when I say that because you know the other thing is is I I didn't write it (laughs) and um, it's just that little bit better than the game that I was coming up with but I think that's true of a lot of these OSR games the simpler ones I'm thinking of Maze Rats here and Knave as well We've all done it. We've all we've all looked at the sort of core attributes of D20 mechanic of Dungeons and Dragons and we've said, oh, you know, what would it what would it be like if we stripped that down, if we came up with a nice unified system, you know, probably thinking about 
younger players, introducing people to the hobby, um, strip back all the skills um, and just come up with something that was complete and simple, fairly flexible that could cope with that, you know, the OSR thing, cope with that feel of, of you know, just getting in the dungeon, having the players concentrate on the environment around them, the puzzles around them and not get too hung up on their character sheets and the, and the rules. Um, and various, various games have come up. I think Maze, I've mentioned Maze Rats and Knave, and they're nearly there. I mean, I look at those games, and I just kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty much mechanics that I've been working through on my own. Um, I've got various different files open, various different incomplete Word documents, things I've run through with people where I've tried to do this kind of thing. And then you see something like Maze Rats or Knave, and you go, oh, that's what I was, that's what I was trying to do. Yep, and they've done it so much better as well. Um, but with those two and with a couple of the others, um, it's just these little bits that bother you, little things you think, oh, I might have done that differently. If, you, if they'd just done this, it would be perfect or it would be closer to what I was trying to, trying to come up with. Um, and Black Hack's got some of those, but I would say the Black Hack transcends those others for me because... Even the little bits, the tiny little bits where I think, oh, I wouldn't have quite done it that way. The overall effect achieved, the playability, the concept, the beautiful presentation of the rules. You think, do you know what? This is so coherent. I'm just going to embrace and tolerate those bits that I would have done differently. I'm not going to... I'm not going to try and fix it. You know, every time I think about running Maze Rats or Knave, I've got another bit of it that I'm going to fix, that I'm going to alter. And the Black Hack, you're supposed to hack it to bits. But, um, but you know, even things I don't like, I'm going to mention the bits I don't like, even those, um, as part of the overall thing, I say, do you know what, I'm just, going to, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to run it and leave those in, which I don't often say about this kind of game. Uh, I really am so, so pleased with it. Um, yeah, so I mentioned, yeah, we, we've all tried to do it, you know, come up with that unified mechanic. What games I'm not particularly mad on, I've put, I've put the OSR tag on the podcast, but I'm not particularly mad on these various clones that just reproduce, uh, that reproduce the old rule sets. Um, I played basic fantasy a little bit mucked around with basic fantasy basic fantasy does a good thing at least it embraces ascending armor class um i i i cannot understand maybe because oh, it's a complicated story i've been gaming for years but i didn't start with dungeons and dragons i didn't come into dungeons and dragons till third edition so i've got no nostalgia for thaco tables the one kind of uh, role-playing table that i'm not really interested in got no nostalgia for thaco tables you know ascending armor class fix something in that kind of game so i'm glad that basic fantasy embraces that but you still you look through it and you go well why why am i rolling if i've got a d20 mechanic why am i rolling 1d6 still for initiative why am i rolling 1d6 to find secret doors and things like that you know i don't have nostalgia for those things um i'm looking for a nice coherent unified set of rules the black hack i should say does something very different the black hack has got a roll under mechanic so you use those attributes again it's something i'm sure we've all thought about doing it's very handy that the attributes sort of run up to 20 um so we've all thought of doing a d20 roll under uh, the black hack does it particularly well 
The art of the game is bold, simple, beautiful. I'm not going to try and describe it. I won't do it justice, and I'm going to talk about the game itself. But the art is lovely. It's a lovely... Um, the hardback book is a lovely A5 little thing. Uh, the PDF looks great, black and white, just bold. Um, nice font, good-looking good looking thing. I've already mentioned the core mechanic. Uh, it's D20, roll under your attributes. So your array of attributes looks pretty much like it would on any other D&D character sheet, but you're rolling a D20, you're trying to roll under. Uh, the other thing, reminiscent of Numenera cipher system, the GM doesn't roll. Uh, you can optionally roll for damage, but there's a, there's a fixed damage alternative. Um, the GM doesn't roll to attack, so players roll to attack and they roll to defend, um, which I really like. All right, going through the rules now. So you've got some. You've got a. You've got a nice abstract take on time. Uh, units of time are expressed in moments, minutes hours and days moments are your sort of combat split second time minutes are what you would have called turns maybe in 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 dungeons and dragons are your sort of longer um maybe it says in the book they represent a dozen or so real minutes but your sort of longer periods and then if you're traveling or you're doing um you're doing something long term then you can you can have abstract notions of hours and days as well um, the black hat uses the advantage and disadvantage mechanic now and and why wouldn't it this is the best thing for me about fifth edition i'm sure i don't, I don't know if fifth edition originated advantage and disadvantage it's the first time i encountered it but uh what a wonderful bit of 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 design and i'm not surprised that that everybody uses it now um you can have in a black hat you can have advantage and disadvantage on on all your roles it's not just your your attribute roles can be damage, it says, or or even random encounter roles. Um, you know, when you've got advantage, you pick the most favourable role. When you've got the disadvantage, the GM picks the least favourite role, favourable role. And that's how that works. Um, this is one of the little sort of queries I've got about the game. I really like the advantage and disadvantage um, mechanic in the Black Hack. As written, that's pretty much what you've got for task difficulty you know any task is a roll under attribute if for whatever reason it should be a little bit easier or a little bit more difficult then you give advantage and disadvantage and that's 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 pretty much what the gm has in terms of relative task difficulty now i think there is implied it's not explicitly stated in the rules i think there is implied um another way of doing difficulty using the way um, that monsters are treated in combat. I think you can expand that into tasks. Um, I'll say a bit more about that later. Um, one of the things I think when I'm trying to put together these kinds of games is, okay, if I'm, if I'm using advantage and disadvantage largely for the GM's sort of contextual rulings about a particular role, you know, on the spot, depending on the environment or your particular background, you might give advantage or or disadvantage, then I'm nervous about then giving class abilities that give advantage and disadvantage. It just seems um, that it that it you sort of lose something from 
um, from a contextual advantage if a class is going to get advantage the whole time in a particular kind of class. Or maybe you lose something from the class advantage if, you know, in a situation where you've got the right tools or the right circumstances, then you might be giving advantage anyway. Um, the black hat does the black hack uses advantage and disadvantage for all of your sort of contextual environmental rulings and also attaches it to certain um, class abilities particularly the thief the way the thief shines is pretty much by having advantage all the time on thief related roles um, i'm not 100 percent sure about that but it doesn't um it doesn't harm this game that i can see You've got relative distance, close, nearby, far away and distant are your relative distances, reminiscent of 13th age, Numenera. If you really can't hack that, if you really want to have, you know, to have your measurements for your minis, then you've got a conversion table there. Um, but, it, but it lends itself to that simpler theatre of mind style of play. Right. Attacking and defending an armour. This is this is one of the particular things I'm slightly in two minds about, but I'm just going to go with. One of the frustrations I have with a lot of these very simple OSR type games is the fact that your dexterity doesn't have anything to do in a lot of them with whether or not you get hit. Your armour class is just based on the armour that you can wear, um, which is dictated partly by your class and partly by how much cash you've got to buy armour. Well, how much cash you've got to buy armour, that's just dependent on what the, what the GM wants to dole out. It's not much of a limitation, so pretty much your armour class is tied quite often in these games to, to your, your class um, and the particular armour that you're wearing. I always am a little bit disappointed by that. I really think third edition, maybe it came in an early edition, but but a third edition did really well in incorporating dexterity to some extent into your armor class. It just seems to me that games should acknowledge the you know the trope of the lightly armored or unarmored hero is nevertheless pretty good at dodging and doesn't get hit so often. So I like it when games incorporate dexterity into armor class. The black hack sort of does that and sort of doesn't. So as I said, characters roll to avoid being hit, so they don't have an armor class. But if you're in melee, you roll strength. And if you're avoiding a ranged attack, you roll dexterity. That's pretty good. So I suppose strength, you're parrying in melee. What it does mean is your warrior who has the various breaks on strength, various kind of um, upgraded ways of, of improving strength, is less likely to get hit, because probably will have a higher strength, will privilege the strength attribute. Your thief, unless they have a higher strength, is no better at dodging melee attacks. If your thief's got a high dexterity, then they're good at dodging ranged attacks, but unless you've also got a high strength, you're not better at dodging melee. I, I sort of like that. What, what it's going to do, I mean, you, you're not really in control of your attributes, the way you roll your attributes. You, you can swap two around at the end of the rolling process, but it, there's a 
pretty heavy randomness in, in character generation, but you can swap two around. And if you're a warrior, you're gonna want a privilege strength. And if you're a thief, you wanna use your skills, you're definitely gonna privilege dexterity. So what it's gonna what it's gonna lead to in this game is that your your thief is probably gonna be a ranged combatant. They're probably gonna wanna hang back. Dexterity governs hitting with ranged weapons as usual. Um, strength does hitting with melee weapons, so if your thief's got a high dexterity and not particularly high strength, they're going to want to hang back because their dexterity is also going to govern how often they're going to get hit um, by ranged weapons, but they're not going to want to be in melee so much. So that's something I just I'll just kind of go with that. You know, in the black hack, thieves their class ability, their their sort of sneak attack ability. Is probably not one as written. It seems to me it's probably not one you're going to use over and over in combat um, when you're attacking from stealth. I think you get. Well, I'll see it when I get to it. I think you get an automatic hit and then you roll quite a lot of damage. Um, but I think that's really a start of combat ambush move. You're not going to use it over and over again in combat. You can use it with a ranged attack. So I think. Your thief, who really shines, of course, in outside of combat, gets advantage on, on various thief-related things. I think your thief is just going to be more naturally a ranged combatant in this game, and I'm just going to go with that. Armour. Um, Armour was revised for second edition. There's not a lot of love for this out there on the blogs and the various reviews I've heard. I still quite like it. I think Armour definitely is one of the fiddlier rules um, in the game. But I like it. Basically, your armour um, gives you an opportunity. You've got a number of armour dice, and when you get hit and you don't want to take the damage, you, um, you break that armour die, and you can discount all the damage. That's quite nice. Um, it's then a little bit fiddly whether, whether you're able to fix the armour during a rest or whether it's more long-term broken. But um, as a... You know, it's a nice bit of design. I think it's not really, I suppose, maybe it doesn't seem like an armour effect. Armour should give you sort of ongoing resistance until it breaks. It seems like this is more like a luck effect, something a, a rogue or a thief type might like, the ability to just shrug off all the damage. Um, this is doing something like your shield in Maze Rats, you know, the Sunder Shield ability, uh, which I really like you know, as a one-off you sunder the shield, you can discount all the damage. Armour's pretty much extending that. Maybe he hasn't got armour quite quite right, um, but I, I kind of like it. As I'm going through the book here, I get to the first of the drop tables. This one is for if you care about hit location. You can ignore this if you want. But there's a few of these in the book. The reason why I like them, these drop tables, it's the first time I've seen drop tables. I'm in favour of all these innovations. There's another important one in, in the Black Hack. But these innovations that get the dice to just tell you that little bit more than they normally do. So here, if you care about the hit location, as you roll damage for the attack, you roll it onto the drop table. And where it lands will indicate uh, the hit location really nice as i say you can ignore that if you want it levels and experience the game uses a a milestone it's a it's quite a nifty version of it but it's basically a milestone uh, leveling system now here this is a good example of an innovation which i was almost at but i didn't quite get there 
I get sick of tracking, well, I let my characters count their arrows if they want to, but I get sick of tracking all that stuff. Um, and I always get, as a GM, I always get myself in knots trying to track the various durations of effects in combat or spell durations. And I had come up with the idea of having a die to track duration. Um, but I hadn't quite got to the usage die in the black hack. What I'd got is, a, you know, I'll give you a D4 or a D6. You know, you've got something physical. That's how the usage die works in the black hack as well. You've got, you've got a die um, to use to track duration or to track the dwindling of a, of a resource. But I was giving D4s, D6s, and then my, my idea was, you know, and when they roll one, a bit like the depletion die in the cipher system in Numenera, if they come up one, then uh, the effect ends or the resource is depleted. But of course that doesn't really work. D4, you've got to roll that, that's your smallest one, you've got to roll that at least four times before it's going to probably be depleted. Um, so the usage die, uh, you've got a die, it might be up to D20 or down to D4, but the way this one works is when you roll one or a two, you then swap down to the next die size below in the chain. So if, you, if you've got a D10 resource or a D10 duration, then yeah, say it's a duration, at the end of each turn, you roll your D10. If you roll a one or a two, then you get yourself a D8 instead, and so on. Uh, that makes the duration or the resource deplete just that little bit quicker. Um, and you know, I just think it's a, it's a great uh, innovation. I, I would probably use that in all of my games now. You know, you buy a quiver of arrows and you can have a usage die with that. Um, it means you perhaps you don't you don't quite know exactly when you're going to run out of arrows, but at least because when you roll one to two, you move uh, you move to the die size below. There is still a sense, unlike the depletion die, say in in um, in the cipher system, where you know once you roll that number, that's it, you've run out, you had no indication. Here, you do get a sense of depletion um, as you move down through the dice chain. Uh, that is a really nice innovation. Magic is very very simple none of the bookkeeping you might have in other games you don't have to worry about spell slots you can prepare a number of spells per day when you cast the spell you roll to see if you forget it. Uh, it's not the only game to have done that but it keeps things nice and simple then each spell has a one-line only description. That's a very deliberate design decision. So all of the cleric spells fit on one A5 page. They're one line each. All of the wizard spells similarly. That definitely means that spell effects are incredibly underdetermined. There's a lot of need for GM fiat, but that's fine. That's what you have a GM for. And I like that it keeps it really simple. In the black box that I've got, the box set, um, They've done you a couple of nice little booklets, very tiny booklets with all the spells in. My kids love those. Um, I think that's just a nice little feature. I quite like the randomness of the spell systems. I've mentioned Knave and Maze Rats for different reasons. Maze Rats has got this amazing um, multi-table. I like me random tables. Multi-table. Um, process for designing a spell on the fly um, it means incidentally that maze rats playing maze rats gives you a feel and 
naive to some extent, although the, the randomness there is a, is a D100 table. Gives you a feel a little bit like the cipher system or Numenera. You know, you find a scroll, it's a one-shot, um, or you prepare a spell that day, it's a one-shot. You know, who knows what kinds of things you're going to encounter, but those are the spells you got that day, very much like ciphers in Numenera. Um, that's, the Black Hack hasn't gone down that way. You could... Um, you could easily port one of those systems in, um, but increasingly, I just really like the the idea that you know all of your nothing to stop you designing endless one line spells, of course, and deciding on appropriate on a pro appropriate level for them. But I really like the idea of a nice simple game with all of the spells on one sheet for a class. I'm um, looking at the classes now. Um, yeah, the warrior's got a shield bash, um, and then it's got a number of damage dice, number of damage dice, D6 per level that can be distributed amongst um, opponents. When you gain a level, you get to roll D20 for each attribute. If you roll under, then the attribute increases. No, sorry, it's if you roll over. If you roll over, of course, the attribute increases, and then the different classes have got different attributes they get to roll multiple times um, the warrior can actually make an extra roll for any attribute the thief I've already mentioned yeah the sneak attack yeah if a thief has moved silently to get behind a creature um, the attack automatically hits deals 2d6 plus the thief's level damage that is pretty uh, powerful but I, I wouldn't you know without a good reason I wouldn't be letting a sneak uh, a thief probably do that over and over again in combat and the thief also gets uh, advantage when testing dexterity, I haven't mentioned this is a completely unified system, so saves and attribute tests are absolutely the same thing. But if the thief is trying to avoid damage from traps or magical devices, they get advantage, and they get advantage on uh, the list here is roguish talents, all of the things you expect thieves to be good with, um, they get advantage on that. The lovely, um, the game's got a background system, characters, you choose a background, which is you know, something something like a background, I suppose, in 13th Age, a nice evocative one-line description, which you can use once per session to give you advantage. Uh, the Thief's got a nifty thing that um, they roll at the start of a gaming session. If they roll below their level on a D10, they can change their background. Uh, it just I, I like that because that's, that's on the character sheet there, you've got something which is going to probably affect your narrative quite a lot. The thief is always able to produce a small throwing knife. I like that as well. Um, very specifically flavoured, um, that particular character sheet, but I really enjoy it. Um, I've got a slight reservation. Clerics, clerics seem to me, so clerics get their spells, they can banish undead, they also get strength and wisdom as their attributes that are slightly advantaged when they level up. They can use pretty much all the weapons and armour. Um, the cleric spell list doesn't look to me to be significantly less powerful than the wizard spell list, so I wonder if wizards are a little bit nerfed in this. Wizards get very low hit points, very low damage, they get their spell list and not much else. Um, if they roll one for their starting hit points, they can have a magic item, but since magic items have all got usage, uh, usage die, your magic item's going to run out. It doesn't seem much of a compensation. So I wonder, I've discussed this briefly with um, David Black by email, and he says he thinks the wizard spell list is 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 sufficiently more powerful than the cleric spell list um, that 
the wizard isn't nerfed. Um, I think I'd have to play it for, for a bit before I could make a decision on that. I think in an earlier edition, wizards maybe got a maybe got advantage on on rolls, certain rolls to resist spells or something like that. And I I think it wouldn't be wouldn't be too much trouble to perhaps reintroduce that if it looked like clerics were outshining wizards. Um, one more page. I've got an eye to the time. One more page. Um, there is a lovely step-by-step -step summary of running the game, um, somewhat reminiscent, although much briefer, of your various kind of um, GM moves that you get in a couple of indie games, like the Powered by the Apocalypse games. Um, but this literally are sort of six moves for the GM. One, recap last turn's actions. Two, um, if you're using minutes to track time, anyone with a light source should roll its usage die. Um, that's a really nice thing. The default uh, idea of adventures is that you're going into dark dungeons. Um, so there's a nice little page and a table that you roll on for what happens when you when when the when the light flickers out to see if players panic. Um, figure out who can act. Roll initiative if relevant, and then ask the players what they want to do. Um, any attribute tests you need, you make. Narrate the actions then of NPCs. Um, and any, remember that the NPCs don't roll. Any um, uh, responses that are needed, the, the, the players roll those. Um, then you make a random encounter roll if necessary. So that's there into in the step-by-step -step running of the game. And then go to step one and repeat. So that is it. They're, those are your GM instructions. That's what the GM does during the session. Fantastic. Just a few more things that I'm going to pick up on. Um, equipment and economy, uh, very abstract money system. Uh, you count coins. There's a nice drop table actually for when you want to know what the uh, what's on the corpse. You roll a number of d6s for the coins and there's a drop table where the d6s land. Um, will determine whether you find other interesting bits of equipment. Um, economy, any item the characters want. There are no sort of price lists in here. Any item the characters want they're looking for is going to be common, rare or exotic. And you roll the price. So you decide whether it's common, rare or exotic and then you roll the price on the spot. The book then recommends that you know if your players are really concerned about prices then you can record the price of a particular item in a particular place um, so that if they try it, try and buy it again, they get the, uh, they get the same price. Um, but I love that. It's absolutely not interested in, in predetermining um, the prices of things. They're common, rare or exotic, then you roll it randomly. There is a list of suggested usage dice that attach to particular items, uh, but it's not hard to get a sense of, of how to allocate those. I'm going to finish spending a bit of time talking about monsters. Um, in the original Black Hack, monsters, like spells, were literally just a one-line description. They had a number of hit dice and then one little quirky um, fact about them, some maybe mechanical facts. Um, but this really is a game that you can run on the fly because pretty much all monsters need are their, is their level. Um, so monsters have a number of hit dice, 1 to 10, same as player characters, 10 levels. 
Um, that determines obviously how many DH you roll for hit points. It determines your damage. There's a table of damage by level. You can roll for that damage or you can use fixed damage to taste. I quite like the idea of, of using fixed damage and, and, and having the players make all the relevant roles. Incidentally, there still are roles for the GM to make, but they are roles on random tables, which is what I think is good fun for the GM. So if the GM rolls, it's because they're you know, deciding what, what, what kind of door or what kind of room furnishings there are um, rather than, than rolling for their characters. Um, yes, yeah, so, so your monster level determines your hit dice, uh, determines your damage, um, and it also has an effect on the roll to hit or avoid that monster. And the way that works is uh, there's no there's no effect if you're fighting a monster which is the same level, same number of hit dice, or um, or uh, a lower level, lower number of hit dice. But if the if the monster the PC is fighting or the creature the PC is fighting is of a higher level, then um, the difference between the character's level and the monster's level is applied as a penalty to the roll. So if you're uh, a level 4 character fighting a level 6 creature, then you add 2 to the d20 roll either to, to attack or avoid that monster. And I think that's nice and simple. Again, it just means all you need for your monster is the level and the appropriate uh, penalties are implied by that. I mentioned earlier that I thought there was a sort of implicit, if you wanted it, there was an implicit task difficulty system here. I think that's it. Although, as written, it only applies to monsters, I think it wouldn't be too difficult. In fact, there are some suggestions in the rules of the idea of a dungeon level. I think there are a couple of references to dungeon levels, but they're not really fleshed out. But you could decide that your dungeon was a particular level. You know, this is a level six dungeon. Therefore, if your character is trying to do a task, um, that seems like it should be a little bit more difficult because of the kind of the environment the character's in, then just apply a penalty exactly the same way as you would if they were fighting a higher level monster. So if you've got a level four character trying to um, trying to pick a lock in a level six dungeon, then give them a plus two on the roll just to make the task a little bit more difficult. And then advantage and disadvantage you can apply on top of that. Um, you may not want to do that. It's not explicitly in the rules, but I think it's in the spirit. And I don't think it, it stretches the rules as written too much. Um, so that's nearly all monsters. As I said, in the in the first edition of the Black Hack, literally they just had um, a level and then a one-line um, quirk or special attack or something like that. What David Black's done in the second edition is to use... Um, a little bit of design that is reminiscent to me of 13th Age, which is to use the d20 roll as a trigger for um, some extra or special attack or rule. So this is really nice. It's not as complex in 13th Age. I really love that innovation, incidentally, in 13th Age. You know, if you're fed up with all of those whole, sh you know, one-page monster descriptions where you've got to work out what spells they've got and whether you're going to use a ranged attack or, a, or a, you know, or cast a spell or what you're going to do this round um, in 13th Age, all of that is looked after by the result of the die. Um, so quite often, if if it's a hit 
but it's 16 or above, then a particular effect triggers, or if it's a natural even hit, then a particular effect triggers. So, you know, you haven't got to make decisions about what your monster's going to do. You just have to remember to be looking at the die roll itself um, and then looking on your sheet to see if that triggers any additional effects. That's monster behavior by algorithm. It's a lovely innovation in 13th Age. Here, um, it's just a very, very simple version of that. So the same kind of... Um, the same kind of um, dice science is used. So there are effects which trigger on an even hit or a 16 plus hit or whatever else. Um, but there's virtually without exception, there's only one effect. So monsters are still pretty simple. They've got a number of hit dice, which usually implies the damage, which looks after any relevant bonuses, and then one special attack or condition or something which is triggered um on the on on what's showing on the d20 i really like that because again it just gets the die to do that little bit more work to tell you that little bit more than it's normally telling you normally it's just telling you hit or miss um, but here it's it's triggering some effect so you don't have to worry about when that effect kicks in or not you just look at the, the what's showing on the die Right, there will be a part two to this review because I've just done the rules. Um, the second edition of the Black Hack, the rules fill about 30 pages and then you've got pages and pages and pages of random tables. Random tables for what your NPCs look like, what they're up to, um, random tables for generating a hex map, lovely simple 2019 hex hex map, um, a drop table for settlements, tavern generator, quest hooks, you name it, dungeons, um, rooms and areas in dungeons as a generator, all the tables have the same kind of format, there's a d4, a d6, a d8, a d10 and a d12 table all fit on a sheet of a5, so I'll just talk about the room and area generator, d4 gives you a uh, whether there's treasure. D6 gives you the contents of the room. D8 gives you the lighting of the room. D10 gives you the type of room. D12 gives you um, some other feature that you can find in the room if it's empty. Um, oh, as I say, all the, all the tables are arranged like that. You've got tables for rolling up traps, natural hazards um, that are all just a little bit, little bit complex. So the traps one, you know, you can roll D12 for the location, then for the trigger, and then for what happens. Um, yeah, the, the, the presentation of dungeons is lovely and simple. It absolutely suits, um, one page dungeon design. Um, there's a lovely little, um, uh, table for rolling room shape you roll d6 against d6 and then you look on the grid and it will show you whether it's a hexagon shape or a circle shape or a passageway section um, but i'm going to spend much more on this at some point i mean that 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 really is the stuff of this podcast is to to, to roll up a dungeon um, and stock it using these various tables so i will be back to the black hack at some point um, but I, I, I'll summarise then, or to try a summary of, 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 of why I find the game so appealing just in terms of its rules. There's your roll-under mechanic, your unified roll-under mechanic, which also lends itself to a nice um, random way of determining attribute increase level by level. Uh, you've got uh, all your class details. Your class details fit on one A5 size sheet. 
You can roll up a character in a matter of seconds. You can look after leveling up in a matter of seconds. Uh, you can really run the game on the fly. The monsters are dead simple. Um, you, you really can um, stat up a balanced monster imaginatively on the spot if you need to. Um, your spells are very simple and again you could make up a spell on the spot. Magic items I haven't talked, talked, talked about um, but magic items you really want something unique and quirky. It doesn't really matter if you design you know much like with your ciphers in Numenera if you if you design a magic item that's too powerful it doesn't matter because you've given it a usage die so it's only going to have a limited number of uses and they're players aren't going to know exactly when it's going to run out so they might be a bit cautious about using it um, but it's going to deplete eventually so you'd have to worry about breaking the game and then of course there's that usage die itself which i think deserves a prize all on its own really so that's enough from me as usual i'm keen to hear what you thought of the podcast if you violently disagree with me about the game or if you've got anything you're keen to share do leave me a message on anchor or engage with me on twitter where i'm d underscore percentile and as usual thanks very much for listening bye